games and gamers together now have the sheer magnitude to be a significant unifying force for the world. If I'm to choose between a greater and lesser evil, I'd rather not choose at all. You are almost a jibble sandwich. Did I ever tell you the definition of insanity? Be better. Check this out. Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to the 337th episode of the Hungry Gamers Podcast. I'm your extremely humble host, Brendan White. You can find me just about everywhere at Brendan8Bits. And joining me for this October session of the THG Residency Series is a man that is uh, as fashionable as he is educated. Uh, he's one of the smoothest criminals I know in the land. You can find him on them socials at... It's Tilby. Matt Tilby, welcome back to the THG slash Riverside Studio. How the bloody hell are you? I am doing so very well, Mr. Brendan White. Yes, the uh, I guess the the Breaking Bad experience has uh, has come to fruition once again. The uh, My Jesse Pinkman to Mr. White here. <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> I feel it was too obvious a link. But yeah, look, it has been, oh man, what, three years now since I've been properly in, uh, in the Hungry Gamers hot seat uh, for a while. Of course, we just did uh, an episode at PAX, which I recommend you all go in and check out. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I thought I'd uh, stop on by for a couple episodes with yourself and of course, uh, our, our, our good friend, Australia's John O'Peck for the, the rest of the month. But uh, I'm here, I'm excited. We've got some, some fun things to talk about. So very, very excited. It's, it's going to be a very good time and it's always, uh, you know, both on and off microphone, a good conversation to be had with you. So I'm, I'm very appreciative you taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, riff with me here in the studio. But yeah, it's going to be good. And, and as, as you said, Tilby, uh, yeah, definitely listeners, if you haven't checked out our PAX recap episode that dropped last week, uh, do yourselves a favor and give it a listen because it's a little bit of a different perspective on packs instead of doing the generic play-by-play recap of things we, we played and experienced we're sort of looking at it from a few different lenses so it's well worth your time runs about 50 to 55 ish minutes so it's it's not a t- too hefty a, a sum of, of time to, to allocate for that one but it's a uh, yeah well worth it i think the juice is worth the squeeze and same will be here for episode 337 so i guess what we can do is jump into our first segment which is the week that was all right, we're going to be talking about what we've been up to in the last seven or so-ish days, and we can start with what we've been playing. I'm going to be rude, and I'm going to jump in first just because I've got a lot of things fresh in my head from what I've been playing these last uh, week or so. And the first one I want to highlight, I've been chipping my way through Cyberpunk 2077's first major expansion, Phantom Liberty, and my goodness gracious, Tilby, like I know cyberpunk has copped a lot of criticism a lot of it is justified over those sort of first few Mm -hmm. years of its very shaky shaky release like shaky launch but man this latest sort of cyberpunk 2.0 patch coupled with this expansion is just everything you could ever want and more it is so fun it's so polished seeing uh idris elba rolling around as solomon reed i can't think of a more impressive sort of Hollywood billing in a video game as far as likeness goes. Obviously, we've got a lot of great voice portrayals in games over the years, but I can't think of a a more like wow moment than seeing Idris Elba and Keanu Reeves, aka Solomon Reed and Johnny Silverhand on the screen together. And it is like a 
ooh, like it's a pant stiffening moment for me. Like it's so <laughs> exciting and it's just so goddamn cool and I cannot get enough of this expansion. Are you uh, are you going to jump on in? I know you've dabbled a little bit with Cyberpunk, but are you going to get in on this in this expansion and see these Hollywood heavy hitters uh, do what they do best? I'm about probably I'd say an hour or so in. I've not sort of uh, oh, you know, jumped too far into it. Yeah, like I've, I've I definitely experienced a little bit of sort of the, like you said, the 2.0 uh, update that they uh, basically brought in maybe like a couple weeks before uh, Phantom Liberty dropped. And basically, of course, they basically re-wiped or just, just basically redid the entire um, experience system, which was a little bit confusing for me at, at first, sort of figuring out like what goes where and, and sort of obviously having a lot of my hard work put into a, a very much a, a hacking uh, build, I guess, basically just be respect and they're like here's here's like 30 points and like nine upgrades do what you want with it you'll have some of it left over but you've got to make, pick and choose and there's all these sort of new things they've put into it and i think the experience makes it a completely new game like i think from the ground up like it just feels and looks so much better now i think it is buttery smooth like i'm playing it on ps5 i'm not sure if you're doing the same uh but it runs very crisply there's very little sort of stuttering or lagging or any sort of technical mishaps that i'm seeing on my end i think the whole thing is just very much a fresh and sort of reinvigorating experience to to have it sort of i guess be close to what cd project red probably wanted it to be upon release in 2020 obviously didn't work out that way and we we've all sort of had our jokes at their expense but it's it's their no man's sky moment i think this is definitely Mm -hmm. the point where they've gotten as close as they want to their original vision for cyberpunk um from what i've played so far of of phantom liberty really enjoying that sort of very espionage-esque sort of take on things um i haven't got to uh our old mate idris yet uh, so I'm excited for that first sort of uh, experience with him. But from everything I've seen, it just looks fantastic. And I cannot wait to dip my toes into it more. It's been super fun. And, and I totally agree with what you said there, where you, you re-roll your last save and the, the build that you had and familiarized yourself with has been stripped apart because they've tiered off the perks now into sort of three tiers where you've got rookie. I can't remember what the medium tier is called, but then like the legendary status at the top. Yeah. And that's based off investing per points into body or intelligence and cool so if you haven't got the pre pre-required amount of numbers there you lose some of those abilities that you were used to rolling prior to uh 2.0 so that was a little upsetting at first because i'm like shit i like you said i liked doing uh like i was doing like a hack pistol and sort of melee build so mm. half of those abilities are now gated away and i've worked my way through and unlocked them now through through level progression but it was a little upsetting where I'm like, damn, all right, I'm I've got to change my my flow and my usual strategy to to go about my business here to finish these missions. But yeah, I really like that. Uh, it just feels a lot more accessible. the The skill tree and the XP progression seems a lot more streamlined and easy to understand once you sort of forget the old way that the abilities and the perks work. So I like that. I like as well that 
they've changed now with your healing device. It's on a cooldown, so you don't have to worry about having just stockpiling oh, no, about a on million, a million of these like little stims. I think I had like 150 stims at one point, and I'm just yeah. like bang, 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 and now it's like you've got to be a little bit more tactical with your health choices and and sort of that sort of refreshes which i think is is fun yeah so, so you get you know two to three refreshes on your cooldown, and then you've got to just wait for it to to reset itself so there is a little bit of hesitancy if, if you're not, not nice and tanky to go in all guns blazing because you can get chopped up pretty quickly regarding the platform i'm playing on xbox series x but similar sentiment that you said with the ps5 like super smooth the graphics are great it feels good the sounds good and just the ray tracing has always been one of the highlights with this game from from launch in 2020 through to now. Like it is stunning in the day, in the night, and just sort of seeing how light interacts with things in within the scene at any given time. But it's so good, and I can't wait for you to sort of start experiencing this story more with Solomon Reed, aka Idris Elba, because he's just a dude. Like he's a dude in everything he does, and it just flows into him in video game form as well. And you hear the voice, you hear the delivery. And the mocap work and the animation is phenomenal. Like you look at it and there's no guesswork that it's like, oh, that could be Idris Elba. It could be nondescript person XYZ. Like it is him. There's no confusion. And he's just got this swagger about him. And combining that with sort of the the badass gruffness of Johnny Silverhand with his, you know, fuck the man type of mentality where Idris Elba is more a bit straight laced. It's kind of cool to see them indirectly play off each other as far as how they talk to you and how they think about things. And it's just awesome like it feels very much like i'm playing a movie right now and i mean that in like all the best ways like i'm playing a a hollywood science fiction action blockbuster or something and i'm all for every second of it so far yeah i I definitely think from what i've seen it definitely has that big budget movie feel to it obviously the the star power of keanu and, and idris definitely lends a lot to the the sort of top billing that this game is is trying to go for especially with that they were everyone's trying to say that sort of spy thriller and you know having to escort the president of the nusa through a you know burning building and all that sort of stuff it definitely there's a little bit of campness to it but i i, I think the um it, it definitely lends itself to a you know one of those sort of action movies that you could just sit and watch and, and enjoy you know not really thinking about it but i think as well also like seeing things that we we thought about throughout sort of the early stages of of the game's life cycle you know in 2020 when we went to that sort of skill tree and we saw the blurred out sort of relic section come through Mm -hmm. and having that sort of finally have its its moment and be revealed as sort of this extra layer of of like skills and abilities um as as part of the dlc was fun and and also the the new references to uh to edge runners the the cyberpunk anime being put in there obviously not only in part of the the skill tree, but also various places in the map and and sort of like the I guess the I guess the cemetery you could call it, but like I don't want to give too much away. But um, one of the the things that I did find unrelated to to Edge Runners is is I guess the the Ken Block tribute car with the um, I guess we should mention as well like there's weapons in cars now. You can fire out of a car and and sort of having the the the, the sort of weapon based uh, vehicular <laughs> combat system now is 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 a, is a big and, thing. and it works surprisingly well. Like I it got to the point when I was playing Cyberpunk pre 2.0 where I just fast travel everywhere. I'm like you know some of the vehicle mechanics can be a little shoddy, so I'm like you know I'm just going to skip and fast travel there, save the time, save the pain. 
But now with the the vehicle sort of weaponry and the vehicle combat scenarios you get into, I'm like, no, this is fun because you don't know what's going to happen when you're going from point to point or who's going to roll up on you and, and try and cause you pain. And the targeting system's nice. I like that they sort of use a bit of an auto lock on by default. You can turn that off if you want to get more crafty and try and be, uh, you know, Billy the Kid shooting at people from the car <laughs> as you drive. But the auto lock on's more than enough of an experience for me and, and I'm happy that they've included that as well. Yeah, it all just works so well. And I think having that combined with the the heightened sense of danger with the new police system, having that reworked, I think is is good. Like there weren't too many times where, you know, I was being bad for the sake of it. I was very good with my driving, <laughs> making sure I never hit any pedestrians like per- purposely. But yeah, I, I think it, the right sort of things were added to the game and, and were really sort of, targeted and, and made sure that the entire experience even if you aren't playing uh phantom liberty i think the the 2.0 sort of aspect to the game has really given cyberpunk the shot in the arm and, and if you haven't played it you know before if you were sort of sitting off it on the fence waiting to see if these sort of updates and reworks would happen now is definitely the time to jump back in and, and play it because it is a very very good game now it's it's phenomenal like the only thing that's lacking now from the initial launch plans is the multiplayer and I don't know if that will ever see the light of day, but if it doesn't, I don't care because this is such an amazing experience playing solo. And yeah, like you said, Tilby, if, if anyone out there hasn't played it due to some of the the internet turmoil that circulated around this game, now is certainly the time because there is so much polish in this game and so much awesomeness and fun and shock and awe to be had you're doing yourself a disservice if, if you haven't played it yet. So, so get your hands on a copy of that or, yeah, and especially get your hands on the DLC because it's super duper fun. And yeah, it's just the, the coolest pairing in a video game that I can just about ever remember. I don't know. Like I was sort of reflecting on that earlier as far as like, uh, like like lending their likeness to a character they portray in a video game. Like what other games have a cast or, or sort of a set of characters that are this like, impressive and i was struggling like obviously we got things like uh um like in until dawn and the super massive games and stuff where you get like some hollywood b-listers c-listers potentially depending on where you see them but i can't think of two characters of this like magnitude lending their likeness in a game playing side by side like can you does any come to mind for you I, I think a lot of the like ps4 era call of duties normally had like at least one big name as their sort of like villain because i know that obviously kevin spacey and kit harrington were in a number of the sort of like um not advanced yeah, in like one advanced of them was advanced warfare, warfare and modern warfare yeah um and colin conor mcgregor like that was so weird um but i yeah i can't really think of anything off the top of my head that is sort of like an ensemble cast that is like a of that billing of that like stature so it's a big get for for cd project red for sure yeah, like like outside of maybe something like a Death Stranding would probably come yeah. close, but outside of that, now Phantom Liberty, I can't think of any others. So hopefully, maybe this becomes a bit more of the norm. But like not using celebrities for the sake of it, but if they can add some genuine impact to the role they play, hell yeah! And yeah, Solomon Reed, Johnny Silverhand, I can't get enough of these two. Like I, I want to spin off anime or live action just with those two rolling around night city like if netflix aren't throwing crazy money at cd project red to try and make that happen i don't know what they're doing but um another game i want to quickly touch on is something that i played 
last weekend at PAX Oz and just been reflecting on it a little bit. And it was my game of the show as far as what I got to experience. And it's a game by a studio out of New Zealand that are called Whistling Wizard. And the game itself is called Rose and Locket. And it's a side-scroller platformer with a little bit of action sort of thrown into it as well. The art style, first and foremost, it is absolutely stunning. It's weaving in not only like western but also the afterlife and the undead and then also weaving in like comics and like sort of the comic artistry and like comic panels as far as it how it tells the story it's fully voice acted so all the characters are voiced and one of the main villains uh that is wrath in in the game that i got to play i got to play about a 15 minute demo at pax he's actually voiced by an ex-professional wrestler so he's got this real like gusto with his delivery and just that over overemphasis on the word and the phrasing but it is super polished the art style's phenomenal the soundtrack mixing in like hip-hop with synth and electronica and even like a little bit of western and rock and the combat feels great i only got to play an assortment of like small assortment of weapons with like pistols and revolvers or pistols and like rifles but the movement is really fluid the fights and the boss battles are nice and varied and stressful and it just looks like it could be a little indie hit coming our way from our friends over in New Zealand. Uh, it's planned to come out in 2024, but definitely keep your eyes on it. Wishlisted on Steam because it is stunning. It plays great. It looks great and it feels just as good as it looks. And it took me by surprise. I just stumbled by it walking around on the show floor on the Friday and I'm like, oh, this looks really cool. And it was sort of a bit quieter. First up on the Friday, I'm like, I'm going to give this a crack. And I was just hooked from the rip and it is stunning. So yeah, Rose and Locket by Whistling Wizard, well worth your time. And I'll quickly shout out other games that I played or followed up on that I really enjoyed that are well worth adding to your radar as well. Quizzineer, Footy Bash, Grist, Dark Web Streamer, Broken Roads, Matchmaker Dungeon Heart, Tavern Keeper, The Drifter, and The Dungeon Experience were all ones on my list as far as ones I got to experience over PAX last weekend that look great. And uh, yeah, you should certainly be keeping an eye on them as it gets closer to release date. Yeah, I'm just definitely like having a look at Rose and Locket as like a, a trailer. This was about a year ago um, that they put one up on IGN, but even then, like it looks really really solid very vivid colors in it but mm. I, I do like the sort of metroidvania sort of uh style of play it looks like very sort of like almost two stick shooter sort of style how you can sort of like yep. rotate bang on the arm yeah, bang on. but it, it looks very just vivid very beautiful setting on that one i would be interested to see how that sort of plays like i didn't get a chance to play that one um on pax weekend um, I did play a couple of the the ones that you had mentioned. Footy Bash was a big one for me. I really enjoyed <laughs> the... Um, it was so fun. It was just a very like... I think the comparison I made was it was like AF, you, you mix AFL with not only NBA Jam, but also I'm not sure if you played Super Blood Hockey, the very sort of like pixelated gore violence that you'd be getting in like an indie like ice hockey game mm -hmm. um just running around being able to just like punch people on an afl field and like like the refs as well and it's just it's it's a whole lot of like insanity on an afl field the likes of which i don't think we've ever seen <laughs> so i think it's definitely something to to ha you know have a bunch of mates around and and have just like a good good old solid um couple games i think it was like I had a, a really good experience talking to the devs with them as well. Um, a, a team called Danger Thumbs, uh, I believe out of Melbourne. Um, and they re were really sort of 
indicative of like they really wanted to improve a lot of the things and take a lot of recommendations from people as well. So they were really open to suggestions from people and they were saying they were going to take a whole bunch of things on board. And I think they even said that they were trying to, they were going to have meetings with the AFL to see if they could get sort of the the rights uh, for like official teams going forward for hopefully round one next year from what I got told. But I wouldn't be surprised if they if AFL said no because of the oddly gratuitous level of violence in a, in a game. And I don't think they'd probably want to market that to, uh, to a lot of people. But even without the sort of, uh, you know, official, uh, like authenticity, I should say, it is, uh, it's a whole lot of fun. And uh, I think the, the dungeon experience, I think you said as well, like obviously a, a Jacob Janurka game, like just head to toe, like his art style and, and just sort of weird off the wall humor just comes out in, in a game like that. Like there was just so much bizarre things happening in that game, which I couldn't get enough of. I'll be very excited for that. Um, and I think, yeah, there was just so much like it, it, I think the biggest highlight of PAX for me definitely was like a lot of the indies. Um, mm. We sort of spoke about it on, on the PAX episode. Like you've got the, the big, devs coming back nintendo sega and, and that's all like fine and good it's, it's great to have the the sort of bigger companies returning after a couple of years away but it's always the indies that just seem to spring up a surprise here and there like there was a, a game i think it was maybe four or five years ago called knuckle sandwich which is only just finally getting its release i think next month and just seeing like the dev cycle from that and seeing how people are putting their entire basically their entire livelihoods into a game like that, I think is fantastic. So, yeah, there, there was definitely a lot uh, at PAX to see, but I think the, those sort of two, three games that I got a chance to experience were, were real big ones for me. Yeah, we, we were very spoilt this year at PAX with just such a influence of indie greatness all over the place. Like, it's taking up more and more of the show floor as years tick by and I am not sad about that at all. Like, yeah, it's all well and good to see the triple A's and the games that you know are going to do well. But at the same time, that's probably why we're not seeing them so much because those studios know that the games are going to do well, regardless of being at PAX or not, like spending the money to set up a booth and staff it for three days and all that kind of stuff. Like that output probably is not going to equate to additional input. So they're just like, you know what, when Spider-Man comes out, you know, this coming week, it's going to sell regardless. We don't need to sort of have physical representation at PAX, which sucks because it would have been fun to play, I'll admit. But they're just prioritizing things a little differently now and it allows these indies the time to shine to get that attention because if a Sony was at uh, at PAX, you know, there'd be more people queuing up for that, which would always translate to less people in the, the indie showcase area. So I'm very happy that uh, they got their time in the sun because, yeah, there are so many good games to play. But... um. You got a couple of games that you've been playing this week before maybe we shift into talking about some of the things we've watched. So uh, what have you been doing this week? Yeah, no, I've been uh, jumping into AEW Fight Forever, um, a, a big sort of long-awaited game for me um, ever since it was announced probably almost a, a full year or so ago, um, just waiting and, and seeing what was going to happen with the game, finally got it. And uh, I have some very mixed feelings about this game, Brendan. I, okay. I I don't know if I'm like the good in this game is is good, but the bad in this game is very bad. There is like a lot of things that 
feel rushed. It feels like a game that was delay, obviously delayed. There were a fair few like delays, obviously both wrestling related and game related. Um, you can probably look them up if you want a, a, a more sort of concise uh, explanation of, of those sorts of experiences. But I think the biggest problem with this game is that it is so out of date already. There is a lot of things that have changed, you know, even from when this game came out to now, there's new shows uh, for AEW, there's new wrestlers coming in and out, you know, CM Punk and Jade Cargill being the sort of big, big ones already. Uh, But even when it was released, like there, there was just like, where's, where's Samoa Joe? Where's Swerve Strickland? Where's, and people were like, where are all these people coming in? You, you put FTR, like your biggest tag team behind a paywall and like obviously having these DLC packs of like Hook and Danhausen coming through, like two really like popular wrestlers coming through. That's great. But like, this is a game where they've mentioned that they're not going to be running on a cycle similar to 2K, uh, WWE 2K, where they're going to be bringing out a new game every year. They're going to be giving it constant updates. And yeah, from what they've released, like the stadium stampede mode, I haven't even had a chance to play because A, the net support for Australia is absolutely garbage. And every time I've tried to join a game, my game has soft locked. So that's been really frustrating. The community creations is non-existent. There's no... Like you can't download wrestlers and things like that. You can't, you can barely even make a wrestler. The creator wrestler sort of suite is <laughs> so limited. It is frankly, like you probably shouldn't even have it to, to mm-hmm. be honest. But, and yeah, it. everything that I'd sort of looked forward to, and I guess that's probably just a, a result of me having played the 2K games for so long, having been spoiled with going on there and immediately getting the new attires and wrestlers and things basically days after they come out having this sort of game that is just feels out of date and and very sort of like not at all there and not at all with it is is very frustrating the gameplay is very good though it is very much a it's a it harkens back to the sort of no mercy like nwo wcw sort of n64 games that very sort of simple two to three button press sort of style. You're able to pick up things very easily. It's very much a, I, I guess the, the best way is like easy to pick up, impossible to master. There's a lot of sort mm-hmm. of reversals and things you can, you need to time and, and sort of work out. But the biggest thing for me really in gameplay is some of the modes as well. The exploding barbed wire death match is phenomenal. It is gory. It is violent, but it, adds a sense of danger that I don't think uh, a wrestling match has had in or a wrestling game has had in quite a while. So I think that plays out really well. The hardcore matches are so much fun because there's a, a litany of things you could find under the ring. There's a wrestling, there's like a, a football helmet. There's a, there's a, um, like a thumbtacked Jordan shoe. There's like guitars, tables, chairs, whatever you can sort of think of. And it just brings that sort of like, unhinged style that AEW has become so known for in their sort of like lights out hardcore matches, which is a lot of fun. I think it's definitely a game that you would want to play with your friends. Like the pick up and play aspect of the game is a lot of fun, but this game needs so much more work done to it. And the updates need to come thick and fast because 
if it doesn't happen, like it's going to fall by the wayside and people are going to throw this game away so quickly. It's it's a shame because I've, I've always been very, you know, I'm very pro competition and it's always, you know, WWE is is the, the big fish in the pond, but AEW, they're growing. They're growing. That fish is getting bigger week by week and they're delivering quality content in the ring. And um, yeah, the, the release of this, it felt really rushed because it was like radio silence and very non-committal for a while as far as when it's coming out. And then it almost like, they had a deadline with, I don't know, the board of directors or something that it's got to be out by this date. So then it felt like the timeline got really sped up and then the game came out. And like you said, it was a little bit underdone. The The roster on day one was already incorrect with people coming and going and, and yeah, hiding sort of key performers behind paywalls to justify, I guess, maybe that rush as to why some of these characters aren't in the game, even though they've been in the AEW ring for 12 plus months before the game got released was a little bit of a strange one, but I guess we'll see an Adam Copeland DLC coming out down the line, things like that. So yeah, there's, there's hope for the game. I haven't played a minute of it. I've just watched some stuff online and watched some streamers play it and things just to get a little bit of a feel for it. And I do respect that it's gone the nostalgic route and a throwback to some of those those peak games of the of the nineties, which we all grew up on. But yeah, it's surprising because THQ and Ukes, like they were the the wrestling studio. Like they were the envious studio that were kings of that ring for a good long while. And I don't know if maybe just some of the key decision makers from yesteryear have left and they've just got a bit of a new team that aren't really equipped to to handle this type of game. But yeah, I'm hoping that they can get it up to speed quick because, like you said, otherwise it's going to end up in the uh, in the trash can that's going to be used in a hardcore match somewhere. Because, yeah, people are people are very fickle and they'll move on. And, and you know, we get that yearly annual WWE game release, so there'll be some new new coming out and then more new new in the next twelve months. So hopefully, this living, breathing, almost I guess games of service they're trying to do with AEW Fight Forever can really build upon that. And like we talked about Cyberpunk earlier and we mentioned No Man's Sky briefly, maybe this will have a bit of a resurgence once it finds its footing down the line. And I'll keep my fingers crossed because, you know, you want you want these games and these studios to succeed. Yeah, exactly. I think you you hit the nail on the head sort of talking about competition and even the the people who worked on, on 2K23 did say like having a, a, a new competitor and, and or something that is like, different to to the 2k games i think is only going to be good for wrestling and wrestling games in the long run but it does not paint a good picture if you are putting out a game that is like months out of date there are wrestlers who aren't there and and wrestlers who should be there and everything is is buggy and a little broken like on online in general um is apparently a, a huge mess so I think things definitely need to change quickly if they're going to sort of retain any sort of goodwill for the game. But mm. we'll see. I, I definitely have hope for uh, some sort of improvements in the near future. That's it. That's it. And I think you mentioned the online aspect of it. Like that is such a key ingredient for a game's life or death probabilities these days. So the sooner they fix that, the sooner they park a data center here in Australia or even somewhere closer in Asia where there's where there's minimal ping to make it viable for someone here in the AU to jump in and play online, the better. Otherwise, that will be a, uh, a nail in that barbed wire two by four, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I guess uh, the other game I've, I've sort of jumped onto recently only just came out this week, of course, uh, Forza Motorsport. 
I guess had its, well, it would have been sort of late last week because they, they've started doing that thing now on Xbox where it's like if you pay for the the premium edition, I guess you get it maybe like five, six days early. They did this with mm-hmm. Starfield as well, but I guess that's something that a lot of the Xbox studios have been doing. But um, yeah, I guess this is sort of more like a, a reboot or sort of um, revival for the, the Turn 10 Studios classic. Um, and so far, I, it's okay. I, I think like having only played maybe sort of five, six hours of it. And, and it's definitely taking that sort of career aspect very seriously, you know, starting out with a, a very sort of simple car. Like I think I have a a Mazda MX-5 and, and something that's just like super run of the mill and going through all of these, you know, Sunday cups and, and getting all of the, the sort of simple you know races out of the way and you start building your money and you start tuning up your car the tuning up of the car like they've, they've sort of gone with a a class system as well so the more experience and time that you have in the car the more points you develop and you use that to okay. invest in upgrades in your car you can always just like quickly tune it to as best a possible like spending those points so there's a bit of like management of points and and, and upgrades that you want to put on your car but i think it it, it handles fairly decently a little bit probably sensitive on a controller it's probably a little bit more geared towards uh people who do have like a a steering wheel and pedals uh for probably more sort of sensitive turns obviously if you're getting a little bit of a turn it just you know juts the other way a little bit on controller but yeah i i think obviously there were a lot of people who had concerns there was there's a fair few sort of bugs and glitches with like the way that you would have a rolling start you you'd come back and, and see your car flipped on its head or having done like triple flips. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's not part of the experience that I really want to be going through. I haven't had mm. that yet, you know, knock on wood, you know, crossing fingers. But I think so far it, it's very much, I, I, I'd say it's probably safe. It's, it's a little bit safe, if anything. Like it's okay. very, very much more of the same of, of Forza Motorsport. And I think I've heard the complaint that a lot of the, the cars that were available on launch were very much just copied and pasted over from Forza Horizon 5, which is a bit of a shame. Like I think the Horizon series has definitely, I, I think, challenged what people think about Forza um, motorsport in general. But I think given that Gran Turismo came out and was such a, a big success, I think Xbox needed a piece of that pie if they were going to get any sort of goodwill out of that. But yeah, look, I, I think the more I get into it and the sort of the better the cars I I do pick up, I probably will have more of a, a more positive experience, a more sort of like full experience of the game. But so far it's it's so good. Okay. Yeah, I, I like what Xbox are doing with the Forza franchise now where you do get the more, the more purest aspect with, with the Forza Motorsport uh, offshoot. And then we've got Forza Horizon, which is more like, it's still baked in some form of in air quotes realism, but it is more arcadey and a little bit more whimsical and fun and more accessible. So depending on where you sit, whether you're a diehard racing sim person, or if you just want something casual, that's a little bit more accessible, you've got both flavors there. So I, I do understand the strategy, but also, you know, does that divide the racing community too much in a bad way? I don't know, but it's cool that they are investing in this franchise so heavily and, and you know, Turn 10 have got a lot of uh, a lot of street cred with Xbox with the successes they've had with these games and, and future releases they're working on. But um, 
yeah, Xbox have been pretty starved for a, a decent exclusive release this year. Like Redfall was very hit and miss. Starfield's been great, obviously. But outside of that, like Forza's the next cab off the rank. Like it's the next man up as far as the big titles that you're going to get people talking, especially with Spider-Man around the corner. So yeah, the reviews have been, I think it's been eights, like sevens to eights I've seen with Forza. So it's been fine. Like it's still a positive score, but I guess people may be expecting or hoping for a little bit more. Yeah, I, I definitely think people would. I do think some people may have looked at Forza Horizon 5 and thought they're going to go all out with this game and they're going to, you know, have something crazy. But then, like, people like myself who played the old Forzas will know, like, this is the, the true typical Forza Motorsport experience that you'd be getting, I think. And you sort of talked about how, like, certain people may have, you know, it, it, that sort of crossover from more casual gamers going into a game like Forza Motorsport where there is a little bit more simulation and a little bit more sort of, like, strategy towards what you're doing in the game is a little bit different. I feel like races are going to be more receptive to the casual side of, of like, Forza Horizon. But the on on the flip side, the, the casual gamers may not sort of, I guess garner the same sort of feeling towards a game like Forza Motorsport. Okay. So it's, it's a little bit of a different, like a feeling out period. It's probably the best way to uh, describe it, but uh, it's, it's good so far. Like I, I definitely haven't been completely overwhelmed by how great it is, but it's definitely nothing that I would like completely delete off my system and never play again. Like if I want to have that sort of, I feel it's more accessible as well compared to Gran Turismo. I feel Gran Turismo is very much an experience. You have to be, fully invested mm. in and it takes time and you've got to really think about things i can boot up forza and be in a race within like two three minutes it's very much a it knows what you want and it gets you in there and that's great so yeah as i said the, as time goes on i feel like it'll be a more positive experience as i collect more cars and more tracks and things but yeah it's good so far Nice. Yeah, speaking of good so far, the first two episodes of Loki have dropped in the past week or so on Disney+. Plus. I've been enjoying that. It doesn't feel like it's hit the highs of season one yet, but I'm invested. The, the assortment of characters, the chemistry, all that has been great. So I'm curious to see where that goes over the, the coming weeks as, as we sort of work our way through season two. Uh, something else I want to shout out really quick. Uh, I finished the, the first season of an anime called The Dangers in My Heart, and it is... So cute, Tilby. It's it's about <laughs> set in a middle school in Japan and it focuses on uh, a, a young man named Ichikawa and he, he's that very, very stereotypical like um, loner, not not many friends, very dark, seen as like emo and brooding and, and likes the macabre and the gross stuff and like obsesses about like murder and reads books about uh, serial killers and all this stuff. So he's sort of really heavily shunned in there and then on the other end of the spectrum one of the one of the uh his classmates is a girl named Anna Yamada and she's this very tall beautiful free-spirited girl who's like a a model slash actress and you know she's the apple of everyone's eyes and sort of it's about their friendship and the awkwardness that comes around that and also just their little personalities and how they contrast but also sort of connect in all these weird ways it was super super endearing and made me shed a few tears at the end of the season like it was beautiful i really loved it smashed through and i'm very happy to know that there's a second season coming out in january so check that out it's on high dive and lastly it's not on the docket but last night i went to the cinema and watched the creator and holy guacamole this is some of the best science fiction i have seen in 
years. It is so good. The story is great. It is stunning. It's heartfelt. John David Washington plays the lead, who is uh, Mr. Denzel Washington's son, who is a very talented actor in his own right. But it's really great. It's set in like 2055. Artificial intelligence has become, I guess, something that we just synergize with on the daily. So there's this conflict about, you know, what it is to be human and, you know, what level does it sort of change between just being a piece of software or hardware to that human element. But it's gorgeous. It's sad. It's funny at times. The action is awesome. The The big set pieces are very big. And uh, Gareth Edwards directs this and does the screenplay and also wrote it. And he uh, is, I guess, most notably known for doing Rogue One. So it's got oh, okay. a little bit of that vibe and a bit of that feel to it. Like it is great science fiction. And man, I was in for every second of this. It goes for a bit over two hours. And I could gladly say like at the end of like when the credits rolled, I'm like, man, I could watch this again right away. Like it hooked me. And on the topic of tears, I cried at the end of this movie because it was very heartfelt and it was just so good. It's uh, one of the best things I've seen all year across any medium. Wow. That is a a lofty call to make. Like I I obviously love a lot of uh, what Mr. Washington uh, has done in the last couple of years. Obviously, I think I saw him in Tenet and I thought he was very good in, in that. But uh, yeah, look, I, I've not seen too much of, of the creator or the dangers in my heart or Loki season two. So uh, there's a lot there that <laughs> I need to- your list, my friend. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to have to uh, you know take a look after this episode, episode is done. But um, yeah, some good things all around for sure. Yeah. And, and what about you? You've got a couple on the docket here as far as some stuff that's coming up that's uh, piqued your interest. In yeah, say. I've been uh, checking out a couple of trailers for things that have come out, uh, I guess, within the last week as well. Like- uh, the trailer for Digimon Adventure 02, the beginning from uh, from Toei Animation. Like I was a, I'm, well, I'd probably say I still am a huge Digimon person. Um, the anime was always something that hooked me probably more than the Pokemon one did. Um, and then obviously having seen uh, Last Evolution Kazuna, which was sort of like, I guess, the, the end point for the original um, sort of, cast of characters this is i guess set two years after the fact where the, the sort of second seasons like new kids um have their sort of i guess i don't want to say resolution because it does sort of look at at, at the, the past or sort of their, their formative years but i get the feeling this is going to just absolutely break my heart it, it, it's it's such a it's that sort of like toy story 3-esque feeling of like growing up with these these kids mm-hmm. and, and seeing how they progressed and grown up as people and yeah, and, and, and sort of having, I guess, the original voice actor for both um, Vimon and Davis coming back to reprise their roles definitely hits me a little bit in the feels. But uh, yeah, it looks stunning. It looks like it's just going to be all out, just classic Digimon sort of stuff. So I definitely cannot wait for that. And um, the other one as well, I guess, sort of returning to that to the wrestling ring, I guess, this... Um, this A24 movie coming out in December called The Iron Claw, uh, directed uh, by, uh, what's it, Sean Durkin. Um, and, oh, my goodness, this is probably going to be Oscar material, I think. Like, there has been a lot of talk about this movie being very powerful, very strong. Like, the cast is insane, if you've seen mm-hmm. it. Jeremy Allen White from The Bear, Um Zach Efron basically looking like someone's put a, like a tire pump in him and just pumped him up. He looks like 
he looks huge. I've never he seen it. He is a monster. <laughs> and and it just looks so weird with the like bowl cut that he has in this film as well. It looks very weird. But if people aren't aware of this, of what the story is sort of referring to, it's it's a family, uh, the Von Erich family, who are this, uh, I guess, long-running family in sort of the early 1980s who were like dominating professional wrestling and, and back when it was sort of like territories and, and sort of the deep south was all this all the rage of like professional wrestling back then and this family people talk about the von eric curse which is like all of these family members dying in these very sort of tragic and horrific ways and it's a very sad story um like if you knew nothing about wrestling you'd probably get a lot out of it if you knew wrestling or even knew the von eric sort of story I feel like this is also going to completely fuck me up. Uh, but it just looks like it's such a strong, powerful story. And apparently as well, like the the authenticity is is something that's really been brought into it as well. I think they got Chavo Guerrero, uh, who I, I believe plays the the Sheik in this movie, uh, so to come good. in as as a as a bit of like a uh, authentic like to to sort of oversee the authenticity in terms of like wrestling moves and, and how people work in the ring um, as well as a cameo from uh, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, uh, current AEW heavyweight champion. So that'll be a, a bit of fun, but yeah, the cast looks phenomenal. The, the trailer came out about three, four days ago and just like so eighties, there's like, don't fear the Reaper. There's Tom Sawyer from rush. And it's just like, it is such a perfect encapsulation of, what wrestling was like back then, what the eighties were like back then. And I would definitely not be surprised if this picked up at least one Oscar. It looks phenomenal. Yeah. I feel, I feel we're on a similar path to old uh, Mickey Rourke's the wrestler from, from yesteryear. Yeah, definitely. It's got that type of tone and grittiness and just looking at the harsh realities of this very glorified uh, sport that we, we like to consume every week. So yeah, it looks good. And I can't wait to see it because I'm a big A24 fan, and usually they don't they don't attach themselves to too many uh, too many duds or bad choices. So I feel like you said it's going to be heavily considered uh, come award season because it looks great, and I can't wait to check it out um, in the coming months. I think it comes out at the end of the year for us here in Australia. I think it's yeah, December. like the USA release date is like just before Christmas. So I would I would say it's either going to be. Around that day for us, I know that we do get our movies a little bit later than the US uh, for whatever reason. I'm still still upset about that. But yeah, look, I will definitely be trying to find any way I can to uh, to get a hold of this one. Yeah, it looks well worth your time. But yeah, we might uh, keep things rocking and rolling and jump into this. News and notes from around the internet presented by Audio-Technica. You should upgrade your audio game today over at audio-technica.com. Maddie's got his fantastic over-ear headphones as we are recording and I'm rocking some in-ears. So uh, shout out to Audio Technica for keeping us very well under control here as we record episode 337. So the first bit of news, title this one, PS5 OptiSlim. Sony is releasing slimmer versions of PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 5 Digital Edition conveniently just in time for the holiday season the new ps5 models are approximately 30 percent smaller and lighter with dimensions of approximately 358 millimeters by 96 millimeters by 216 millimeters for the standard model 
and 358 by 80 by 216 for the digital editions. Both models now have one terabyte of storage up from the original 825 gigabytes. Customers can also add an Ultra HD Blu-ray disc drive to the PS5 digital edition for the low, low price of $79.99 US dollars. The new models also have four cover panels with glossy top panels and a matte bottom. The PS5 Digital Edition has increased in price by $50 up to $449.99 USD, while the standard PS5 remains at $499.99 US dollars. Sony is also selling a vertical stand to a company for $29.99, but a horizontal stand is included with both models at nil cost. So Tilby, 30% reduction in size. I think the unit looks nice. I like the new little sort of midway sort of highlight down down the case itself, a little black racing stripe it's got going on in there. It looks clean and like the PS5, the look and feel of it is very divisive, especially when it's plain white. When you reskin it with some sexy plates, it looks great. But now sexy plates in a smaller footprint, I'm in. Yeah, it's interesting because like when they released those original shots, sort of comparing it to the original ps5 i was like i can't tell a difference like they're like oh it's slimmer and it's it's much shorter it's like you're gonna have to give us better shots to show us what it looks like and i think the the new sort of like stripe as you said going across the panel looked very cool but i i do think it 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 reminds me a lot of um what's what's bender's evil twin in futurama called he's got the like goatee um, yeah, D- don't ask me. I'm not a big uh, Futurama, I'm not say fan, but I'm just not too up to date on it. So I've got no ammunition to throw it at that. But, one. You, but you would you would know what I'm sort of talking about. It looks exactly mm-hmm. the same. He's just got like the little goatee on him. I feel like that's what I'm looking at in terms of like the new PS5 versions. It looks almost exactly the same, and he's just and it's just got that little bit of like a slight difference to differentiate it. But look, I, I think even sort of looking at my uh, my current disc edition ps5 here at the moment like they're huge and i think any sort of opportunity to make these things smaller and lighter i'm going to welcome having to lug these things around just to sort of like take the top off and organize things to put in a you know an an ssd and, and things like that like any opportunity they get to make this thing a little bit more easy to fit into like a a shelf like i can't even Mm -hmm. fit it into my my shelf at the moment i'll probably have to take a photo so you can put it up on the socials but like (laughs) it's it's currently behind my tv right now that's that's how bad it is in terms of like being able to fit it in like an ikea shelving system so yeah it, it would be welcome for a lot of people who probably don't have the the sort of space to to fit things in certain places but i think the the idea of like a removable disk drive or the hd blu-ray disk drive sort of being able to take that off and, and sort of attach it to the like digital version i think is a unique um idea mm-hmm. I, I think uh the i think the meme that was going around was do you remember the old ad where they're like here's how we do sharing from P- from playstation playstation and they just like give the the game disc to each other like i feel like that's what's going to happen and they were like oh yeah here's the disc drive here's how we share like our games so i think it's it's a step in the right direction for sony i think as small as possible obviously there's certain things you have to take out of a ps5 but so far so good i think it's definitely a step in the right direction I think so too. I think uh, it's it's a nice, cleaner, smaller footprint. There is some interesting decisions there where they're like they'll they'll penalize you. Like if you save the fifty dollars up front ish 
on the digital edition, but then realize you need to go discless. You've got to pay $80 to get the mm. that uh, Blu-ray disc drive you mentioned instead of just paying the extra $50 up front to go the, the disc version uh, right off the rip. So there is a bit of a cheeky gotcha to be mindful of there. But yeah, the footprint looks good. I like the slight rework on the overall look and feel of the console and yeah mine mine stands up vertically behind my television as well so i can completely understand where you're coming from there because it's just an awkward shape but it's a cool look especially when you put a a different skin on it but yeah it's just an awkward shape overall but this all it's go a long way 30 percent is uh you know not a small amount of real real estate they're reducing there that's for sure yeah isn't your ps5 also like got arrows and things in it like a custom build so correct yeah i can completely understand why you need to put yours behind your tv (laughs) yeah i've I've got the horizon zero dawn treatment from from the legends over at tag mods there so yeah it's a bit disheveled and yeah there's a few arrows poking (laughs) out of it so yeah it won't exactly sort of lay on the horizontal in any form of cabinet it has to be vertical no matter where you go but that's okay and something else that is i'm perfectly okay with is uh john ricitello who has retired from unity amidst the recent raft of controversies. So uh, he's been with Unity since 2014 when he originally moved across from EA and was initially tasked with overseeing the company's transition to a subscription model. However, the stock comp- the company's stock has declined drastically from around $68 at the most recent IPO to just $30 now. So uh, yeah, Unity is not what it once was and there is a little bit of worrying going on in the back of that. So their reputation has massively suffered due to the mishandling of the new fee structure, which initially sounded like retroactive charges for game installations, but was later clarified to start in 2024 with exceptions for smaller studios. Riccatello leaves behind a legacy that combines a focus on live service, microtransactions, and loot boxes, as well as calling developers fucking idiots for being negative towards monetization. Upon leaving, he is set to earn up to $8.4 million through stock options and an additional $253 million worth of Unity stock, which he already currently holds. So he's going out in the sunset with a big old bag of money. And as he rides off, James M. Whitehurst, who is the former head of Red Hat, which is an IBM-acquired open-source software company, will be acting as the interim CEO while the board of directors searches for a permanent replacement. So, uh, yeah, Mr. Riccatello, um, don't let the door hit you on your way out. I don't know too much about him, but I know as far as the current business model with EA, how it is still heavily focused on microtransactions, live service models and things. He was the the primary instigator there and then tried to take those ideas and embed it in the Unity DNA. And yeah, the, the big blow up regarding their, their fee-like structure that's going to be happening in the coming future was met with a lot of hostility. And I'm guessing they're like, we need to get some good press back to Unity, John. We'll give you some hush money, this $8.4 million worth of stock options. You just get out of here. And he went, okay, so see you later, fella. It's such a, like, it's the definition of scorched earth, essentially. He's just like torched the reputation of this company and gone, see you guys, I'm getting out of here. Or like you said, the unity is like, here's like millions of dollars that you have through stock options. We'll pay you that to shut the fuck up and get out of here. Um, but it, it's such a, like it's such a bummer because like I've I've worked in a game studio previously and even now seeing like friends of mine who still work there sort of talking about how they've worked with Unity and Unreal and and how the the fact that that sort of fee structure 
would have absolutely crippled uh, indie developers, both big and small, and seeing the sort of backlash from even bigger creators. I think there were a couple of people from Devolver and, and other sort of companies who were like, we're going to be taking our games off the, off the systems and, and sort of removing them from our sort of downloadable services so that, you know, we're not going to get hit with these sorts of fees. And it just created such a huge amount of confusion for a, 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 a program that was so instrumental for the livelihood of a lot of people. So he just gets off scot-free or he just gets to ride off into the sunset and, and, and live his life while people are probably still wondering, is this going to happen? And are we going to be paying out the ass for these things that we really don't want happening for our game when we had these ideas for these games and it took us years to create. And now we're going to be, what was it paying each time or a certain amount of times people download our game, which, you know, the, the cost and revenue and, and sort of, evaluating all of that it's just a fucking mess it's an absolute mm. mess like i don't know what else to say brendan i i i'm i'm so glad he's gone and i think it, it really sort of does a lot for the the industry knowing that those sorts of ideas and and seeing how that the the games industry as a whole can can band together and and, and make it known that hey this isn't okay we've done this sort of thing for years without having to uproot the way that we, you know, price our games and, rev- you know, revenue streams and all that. It's just, yeah, I could, I could go on for hours about it, but like <laughs> I need to calm down. This was one of the good times where you see the internet up in arms, all, all unified uh, for, for a positive reason. Like it was great to, uh, I guess not great because there was a lot of studios going, fuck, this this is our, our livelihood here. We could be we could be sunk due to these potential shifts in their in their payment models utilizing Unity. But seeing everyone sort of band together and stand strong and be like, no, this is not okay. This is bullshit, Unity. Do something about it. And then I will also like, you know, give some acknowledgement to Unity that they did pivot and backtrack very quickly yeah. and tried to be as as apologetic as possible. But yeah, the damage was certainly done very quickly there and i'd say there's going to be a lot of people shifting to other other development platforms to to work on their their games down the line just due to the uncertainty is as far as what this payment model will ultimately end up settling down to become at unity because there's a lot of time and and energy and effort and blood sweat and tears that go into game development and then releasing a game and then finding out you're potentially going to get bent over every time someone purchases that game seems a little bit scary and a little bit uh, of a, rela- a situation that I wouldn't want to be in if I was a developer. So yeah, I fully stand by them going, you know what, we're, we're, out, he- we're out here, Uni- Unity, see you later. We're going to move across to this other, other um, platform and, and work on our games both now and into the future there. So we'll see what damage is done long-term, but it is a shame that... Uh, Old Riccatello, yeah, gets to gets to ride off into the sunset with uh, all of the money, and um, you know, yeah, he did cause a lot of this drama directly and indirectly, but he uh, he gets off scot free. Yeah, it, it's such a shame. Like, I think you might probably start seeing developers and and companies sort of looking at whether they jump from Unity. Like, I think a couple of people and companies were sort of tossing up whether they go to Unreal or sort of just completely take their sort of entire system and, and sort of move it to a different area because these 
these issues and these sorts of structures and, and things that they were putting in place, Unity, were just uninhabitable for a lot of people. And, and it definitely caused a lot of confusion and hurt. And it was just not a good time for anyone. So yeah, like you said, seeing the the, the gaming world as a whole sort of step up and go, this isn't okay, uh, was, was definitely warranted and welcomed. Um, so we'll see what happens in terms of, of Unity's sort of public figure. I, I don't think it's it could get any lower than it is right now. But uh, I think getting rid of Riccatello is a very good start. We'll see if uh, Mr. Whitehurst can sort of, I guess, uh, <laughs> come in and, and, and sh- I guess, uh, steer the ship away from the big old iceberg that is probably bankruptcy. I, I don't think it'll be mm. going bankrupt anytime soon, but like they'll be losing a lot of money, I think, definitely from this. I don't know whether their sort of fee structure was, was I guess, a way to sort of save money or sort of like get money back into their coffers because they were losing it but yeah it's just a weird time all around yeah they've certainly lost a lot of respect in the industry and there's going to be a bit of hesitancy for any any big studio to potentially utilize their platform moving forward due to due to the risk and yeah the 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 heavy cost attached to some of these bigger games when they do make big money they're going to be paying even bigger amounts of money to unity for that so it is a Bit of a bit of a divisive situation that we'll sort of watch on as, as the months and years roll by. But uh, the next bit of news I've titled "No Need to Super Mario Wonder." Who's going to replace Charles Martinez? Mario, that is. Kevin Afghani has been confirmed as the voice actor for Mario and Luigi in the upcoming Super Mario Brothers Wonder game. This revolution came after fans speculated about the new voice actor following Charles Martinet's departure from the role of Mario. Afghani officially announced the news on Twitter, expressing his pride and gratitude to Nintendo for the opportunity. Afghani is known for his work in Dragon Ball R&R and Genshin Impact, among others. And uh, leading up to the big official reveal from uh, Kevin Afghani, there was you know, a lot of data miners. There was a lot of sleuthing going on, as the internet loves to do, and they actually hacked in-store demo versions from kiosks in the United States, got access to the hidden files and content and started combing through the lists of voice actors. And then it was like, a, is it this person? Is it that person? It was very conspiracy theorist stuff, which I also love slash hate when it comes to the internet. But um, the, the guesswork is over because, uh, yeah, Kevin Afghani is at least playing Mario and Luigi for this next iteration of the game, who knows if he's going to sort of stick around long term, but uh, he's here to stay at least for Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Yeah, I mean, and if you saw the, I guess, the original trailer for Mario Wonder and, and sort of heard, like, I couldn't tell the difference, which I think is the, either, the, hey. the perfect sort of like thumbs up for his performance so far. And um, obviously, like, a, a role like this is obviously a little easier to, to cast than, say, like, you know, the the team behind Rick and Morty having to completely recast Rick for that one, obviously a little bit more difficult. There's obviously not a lot of nuance in a, in a role like Mario and Luigi where they're just zippy one-liners every so often. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've not really had a chance to check out Dragon Ball R&R and obviously Genshin Impact's been blowing up the the gaming world for, for a couple of years now. But I mean, more power to him. It's a, obviously a very big role, like, as I've, as I've sort of said before to a couple of my friends, like I've only ever known Mario as being voiced by Charles Martinet. So it's a very weird feeling not having him in that role, but yeah, he, he he's, uh, he's landed a, a pretty, pretty big gig. Like if you could tell like his 
friends, family, I'm sure his, his kids and grandkids in the future would be like, hey, I voiced Mario. Like that's mm-hmm. huge. But yeah, the, the, the game looks good. I, I did see a little bit of it uh, at PAX last weekend. It looks like it's essentially new Super Mario Brothers on drugs. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see how that sort of plays out. But yeah, like congratulations to him. Um, I wish it just wasn't as a result of people hacking and data mining through places they shouldn't have been. Um, and I guess that he probably had to get that sort of, you know, speculation confirmed and, and sort of nip it in the bud before it got any worse. But yeah, it, it looks like it's it's a, a good choice. He sounds pretty much bang on to the the previous work of, of Mr. Martinet. So yeah, uh, fair play to him. Yeah, like you said, I, I listened back to the trailer after Kevin Afghani came out officially and, and announced it on, on Twitter or on X. And I sort of listened to that and then side by side with Martin A. And I don't want to disrespect either of them, but yeah, it sounded pretty damn similar. Like it's it's a very finite difference between the two. And I guess that's what Nintendo wants anyway. They want that continuity and that familiarity with these characters. And, and they seem to have landed that with Kevin Afghani. I'd love to know how much money you get paid to be the voice of Mario and Luigi. Like, I wonder if that's like a hefty sum that you could retire upon or if it's more of a a humble beginning type of payment and that's how they've maybe brought someone in that's a little lesser known. Uh, they, they can sort of pay him a fraction. Maybe maybe Charles Martinet, because he's, he was Mario for decades, he could sort of demand more money from Nintendo. So they're maybe saving and recouping a lot of money from Mr. Martinet with uh, the Afghani hire. Who knows? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, I would assume they'd probably have some sort of rolling contract for him. You know, we'll see how things go with this first game. And, and if, if he seems to do a good job and, and people respond positively to him, we might keep him on. Like, But I, I think there's no reason why you shouldn't. Like you said, he's pretty much bang on for the, for the, for the voice. Like, it would have just been such a weird feeling if they'd gone with a completely unintelligible, like, completely different voice for him. Like that- Chris Pratt? <laughs> <laughs> it's a ah. me hello like and just sort of <laughs> went with something that is completely out of left field that just doesn't feel within the spirit of mario but yeah i i'm 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 really happy with it like i've, I've got no complaints and um i'll be looking forward to to hearing more of mr afghani's work when uh wonder comes out later this coming week yeah yeah it's 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 big times for for mario and even bigger times for microsoft because Mr. Tilby, the deal is done and now we can finally rest. Hallelujah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's right, listeners. If you haven't been on the socials this week, Mario, uh, Microsoft has now officially acquired Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion US dollars, marking the largest buyout in the history of the video game industry. The deal has been in progress for nearly two years involving regulatory approvals and many legal challenges, and it was finalized after receiving approval in the United Kingdom. With this acquisition, Microsoft gains control over popular game franchises such as Call of Duty, Spyro, Skylanders, and Guitar Hero, which are previously owned by Activision. They also acquire Blizzard, the developer of World of Warcraft, the Diablo series, Overwatch, StarCraft, and Hearthstone. Notably, Microsoft takes owner of Activision Blizzard's mobile division, King, known for its highly successful Candy Crush saga, which is expected to enhance Microsoft's or Xbox's mobile gaming strategy. Activision Blizzard's 17,000 employees around the world are now part of Microsoft. And in much more positive news, current Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick will, after 30 years of the company, be moving on at year's end, albeit with a 
bucket of money valued at over 375 million US dollars. Microsoft's Xbox, uh, Microsoft's Xbox boss, Phil Spencer, emphasized a commitment to inclusivity and community in gaming following the acquisition. While fans eagerly anticipate the integration of Activision Blizzard titles into Xbox Game Pass, Microsoft clarified that it will take time with newer games not expected to appear until 2024. The full implications of this acquisition on the gaming landscape remain to be seen. But goddamn, this has been in the works for a good long while. I first want to uh, take my victory lap against Miss Ali Hart because we had a bet this year where <laughs> I said this deal would be done in 2023 and she said it was going to bleed into 2024. And I've made it with a couple of months to spare. So I do believe she owes me pizza or she has to eat something spicy. I can't remember which one we settled on, but either way, I'm flying my victory flag right now. But I'm also flying a victory flag knowing that uh, Bobby Kotick, we only have to deal with him in an official capacity for another two and a half months and then he's out of here. So I love that move for Activision Blizzard. I love that move for Microsoft because he's a piece of poo. I will admit, you know, he's been with... Uh, with the company 30 plus years and he was responsible for some of the positive things that happened with that business but he was also a crummy human being that overlooked a lot of atrocities and did not act accordingly as a CEO should in times of crisis for some of the staffing there so yeah I'll, I'll acknowledge the successes but also middle finger the fact that he's a piece of shit but the deal is done huzzah party poppers streamers all those things we can move forward yeah, it's it's a lot of mixed feelings for me. I think like obviously you said Kodak getting his, his marching orders is great. Um, no amount of teasing a revival for Guitar Hero is going to gloss over the, the shitty things that he did. Um, but as you said, like this has been in the in the pipeline for God knows how long and $68.7 billion is a, a, a fair chunk of money. Let's just put it like mm-hmm. that. But... I'm I'm pleased that it's out of the way and, and we can sort of see how Microsoft prepares to leverage those sorts of studios in, in sort of making it a, a bigger um, entity. I do dislike the fact that we are sort of now seeing a much bigger monopoly from Sony and Microsoft just sort of swallowing these sort of smaller studios. And let's like let's be honest, Activision Blizzard is not a tiny studio by any means but the fact that 60 plus billion dollars is being put into this particular deal is concerning um because i think in 10 years time we'll have like two or one video game companies to really look at if if anything but the 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 amount of titles that you you've mentioned that are coming through that are now sort of xbox either official or sort of uh exclusive i should say and and sort of take pride of place for xbox is is a big one i know that there were sort of debates over whether call of duty is going to be put out on playstation for a certain amount of time and i think that was part of why the delay was happening as well mm-hmm. um and as well like the, the mobile division uh coming to xbox and sort of enhancing their mobile strategy i think is is a big thing for them i know that they definitely wanted to make significant inroads in that in that sector the big thing for me is that this sort of takeover is always going to result in in layoffs. I genuinely think there's going to be some some people who will lose their jobs as a result of this, which absolutely sucks, given the current uh, or sort of recent form for 
people who have lost their jobs as a result of failed layer like takeovers and and these sorts of things happening um the embracer sort of deal really comes to mind um with that but look i i think it is an interesting significant um acquisition for microsoft but yeah i think it will take some time before we really really see how important this is going to be for them how they integrate those active list titles into game pass you know if i get tony hawks one and two like i'll be happy um but yeah i think things like spyro and skylanders aren't really gonna move the needle for a lot of gamers obviously call of duty is going to be huge and whether or not we do see a revival of guitar hero i'll have to dust off the plastic controller that i've got somewhere in my cupboard somewhere <laughs> but yeah it is it is it is good to just see it done and, and and it's it'll be interesting to see how they sort of take that um that ball and and run with it yeah i'm, I'm excited to see what Maybe like forgotten is probably too hard of a word, but legacy franchises that Microsoft now owns that might see a new lease on life or a new spin-off or a reboot or a remaster. And like you said, um, when you reference Guitar Hero, like they did an all-hands meeting following following this situation where it was all made official and old Bobby Kotick referenced Guitar Hero saying that, uh, you know, this is something that could be a possibility. So who knows if we if we get a another Guitar Hero or a Band Hero or whatever the heck they want to do uh, in, in this current state. And then he also mentioned things like Pitfall, River Raids, Kaboom. And then there's like dozens upon dozens of other franchises out there that uh, are starved for for a new, a new lease on life. Like I'd love if they turned around and said, oh, by the way, we're making a new Tony Hawk. Something like that, because oh. you know that game gonna be selling. That game gonna be selling day one. Give me three and four in a in a remaster in the same light as one and two, and I will I will I will be the day one being like I want this now. <laughs> so it's 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 tough, yeah. It it is very tough, but I'm just happy that it's finally done because it feels like we've been talking about this in the news cycle for what well, we've been <laughs> talking about for 20 months. So it's been, been a very slow, slow procedure and all the resistance from the FTC and all these other bodies certainly uh, delayed, delayed the cause, but uh, you know, the, the good guys or most of the good guys won in the end. It's a shame that, that Bobby is, is yeah, getting $375 million in us currency, off the back end of this deal, like uh, the man never has to even think about the word work ever again. So I imagine he'll be out of here in December and, and I wouldn't be too upset if we never hear from him again. But I do hope regarding the rest of the 17,000 or so employees, they do get retrenched and deployed into Microsoft and there isn't too many too many uh, you know job losses that go on the back of this where they scale down and avoid any duplication on roles and, and sort of workflow. But yeah, the the biggest deal in gaming history. I don't think we're going to see a bigger deal like this in my lifetime. Like the only thing I could see trumping this is if like a Sony buys a Nintendo or something. But I feel you can't get much bigger than this. Given given that Phil Spencer was like, yeah, look, we tried to buy Nintendo. Like he was having those like weird ramblings. He's like, we tried to buy everyone under the sun. Like that would, I think, be the only thing that would ever get anywhere close to this. Um, and I genuinely hope it doesn't ha- If that doesn't, I hope that doesn't happen. Let's just say that like yeah. that much. I would feel very gross knowing that two of the biggest companies in the world in gaming just like became one amorphous blob, some like weird megazord thing. And yeah. I, I hope they stay just 
as far apart from each other as possible. It's probably just Phil being like, look, we've got this money to go around. Let's throw a dart at a board and see what happens. So yeah, I hope that's it never it, happens. That's it. Yeah, that, that's, that's his Eleanor for sure as far as picking up a Nintendo. Like I could still see some of the other Japanese houses getting picked up like a Square or a Sega down the line or, or there was obviously the, the strong talk around Warner Brothers getting picked up for a while there. I could see potentially even like Embracer Group either selling off parts of what they're doing or just getting out of it altogether because they've just gobbled up. Like we talk about Microsoft and Sony buying up studios. Then you look at Embracer, they've got like quadruple the amount of studios they've acquired in comparison to to two of the big three and they're, they're hemorrhaging a lot of money at the moment so i'm curious if they're going to pull a parachute and sell off and try and lessen their portfolio because it would not be cheap to uh, to maintain hundreds of studios that they've got on the books but uh it ain't my money it ain't my decisions we just talk about it on here so we'll see what happens exactly it looks like it's going to be a fun time for gamers all around the world Hell yeah, hell yeah. And if you're looking for other fun times and fun things to do, do not worry about that. The week that's yet to come, presented by Dash Water. All right, so we're going to be just uh, referencing some of the things that are coming up in the next seven or so calendar days that uh, you can add to your respective viewing, playing, listening schedules. First and foremost, from the podcast side of things, we've got another episode of More Than Hentai dropping this coming week where myself and Bruce Alexander are going to be tackling ZOM 100 Bucket List of the Dead, which is an anime that's currently airing on Crunchyroll as well as Netflix. Nine episodes out at time of recording here on the 15th of October, and it is one of my favorite new anime of 2023. So give that a look if you're looking for something to watch on the small screen um, or listen to, sorry, and also watch on the small screen. So check out our podcast, Deep Dive in Episode 1, and then check out the nine episodes to date on those streaming services if you want to go to the cinema killers of the flower moon and the origin of evil are both out this week killers of the flower moon is a three and a half hour scorsese jaunt with leonardo dicaprio i'm keen to check this out but this is going to be intense till we i know it's going to like crush me emotionally watching this because i've heard tonally and thematically it is heavy as shit so I need to be in a very specific state of mind to go to the cinema and watch this because I'm going to leave very sad and broken, I think. Three and a half hours, man. I can't do it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I struggled through like Avengers Endgame and that was like three hours. I'm like, is this ending? It, oh, it's not ending. This is happening now. So three and a half hours of very tough, very like heart-wrenching sort of stuff. I, I can't, I'm sorry. Like as good as Scorsese is and as good as DiCaprio is, you could not pay me to sit through three and a half hours of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch it when I get back from from my trip away. And yeah, I'll, I think I'm going to do like a, like if they do like a late morning session and watch it so I sort of get out over lunch. So I'll have some, take some snacks in with me and then still have a bit of sunshine to then warm my heart up after this movie crushes me. But uh, yeah, I'm still keen to give it a look. Uh, as far as games coming out in the next seven or so days, there is a lot, man. Uh, we've got SpongeBob SquarePants, The Cosmic Shake, Cyber Knights Flashpoint, Mortal Kombat Onslaught, Skull Island Rise of Kong, Sonic Superstars, Wizard with the Gun, which is a banging looking little indie gem that I cannot wait to play. Mike Magnolia's Hellboy Web of Word, Slender the Arrival, Endless Dungeon, Galactic Civilizations 4, Supernova, Gangs of Sherwood, Gargoyles Remastered, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2, Turbocharged, Overpass 2, The Seventh Guest in VR, The Gap, Jackbox Party Pack 10, World of Horror, Mario, uh, Marvel Spider-Man, 
2 and Super Mario Brothers Wonder. So, oh boy, there is plenty of games to be uh, you know, throwing your money and time at this week. Anyone or any couple on that list particularly stand out to you? Where you're like, man, I'm, I'm throwing some bucks at this and I'm getting in on it. I mean, the two obvious ones really are the ones you said at the end, Mario Wonder and the big one, Spider-Man 2. Um, there's a couple of others in there that it, uh, you know, I might sort of check out. Like, I love the Jackbox party packs. So hearing that they've got a 10th one, the fact that they've Insane. had 10 party packs is wild. Um, so those are always a lot of fun when you, your party's really sort of just getting a little little dull and things are sort of a little winding up a little bit. Get out your phones and have a bit of fun. There's always laughs to be had. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the Hot Wheels game, the first one, Hot Wheels Unleashed. Uh, was surprisingly good. I, I would be excited to see how they've sort of enhanced things for the sequel there. But really, it's going to be like Mario and Spider-Man are the two big, mm. big heavy hitters for this one. So I will be definitely looking forward to them. Hell yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, experience both of those games. And like reflecting now on Jackbox, like they're, they're like you said, they're super fun to play in a social environment or whether you're, you know, playing online and you've got a heap of other friends joining, joining in on the fun with you around the country, around the world. But I feel I played Jackbox Party Pack 3 like only a few years ago. And the fact that they've jumped to 10 already, like uh, I guess there is many a mini game to be had and a many a laugh and a, a controversial drawing to be created. So yeah, the the Jackbox team knows no bounds, and the fact we're up to pack ten is just like, man, I can only imagine how insane the game modes would be in it by then, because some of the ones in earlier iterations were bonkers. Yeah, they they definitely seem to sort of bring sequels for the mini games and sort of bring them into new packs. So I think one of them was a, a sequel for TKO, the sort of T-shirt drawing. Uh, mini game but they do tend to bring a, a lot of new ideas for the rest of the the sort of packs which i think is very cool so i haven't really looked into too much of, of what's in this 10th pack but there's always something that like one game at least in, in each pack that really sort of sticks out to me and like that's my favorite that's the one that i yeah. keep telling people about um but even like the the ones where it's like fibbage and drawful like your your, your household names your family favorites um, there's always something that to really enjoy with each Jackbox pack. So, yeah, full um, full credit to the team at, at Jackbox Games for uh, bringing up, a, I would assume it's an annual release sort of thing. But, mm. yeah, shout out to them for uh, their 10th game and, and long may it continue. Yeah, and the fact that it's on everything, whether you're playing on console, on PC, or as long as someone's got a, a copy of it and the rest of the participants can just play on their mobile at no cost, like it's a very, very smart business model. And yeah, you can have a lot of fun and offend a lot of people playing a Jackbox game, that's for damn sure, because uh, the responses, they escalate pretty quickly depending on who you're playing with. Yeah, you're, you're definitely only as uh, as insensitive as the people that you're playing with. So it's uh, it really just depends on, on what party you've got with you, but... It is uh, always a lot of fun. 100%. And speaking of fun, I am going to be taking some time away after this episode and I won't be back for the rest of the month. But fear not, listeners, Mr. Tilby here, as well as Mr. John O'Peck, will be uh, steering the ship very comfortably and confidently, that I am sure. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun jumping here on 337 with you, my good friend. But uh, for the next few you're in the in the co-captain's chair, so uh, you got it. You sorted. Do you need any any last minute advice or, or anything you need some feedback on before we get on out of here? I don't think so. I think like you've given me the keys, so we'll uh, we'll have to see how the uh, the inmates run the asylum when you're gone. But um, <laughs> look, just have a great time. You know, just 
kick your feet up, take plenty of photos, eat all the good food. We're going to miss you, obviously, for a little while. But um, with uh, with Australia's John O'Peck, the the Hungry Gamers are definitely in good hands. So uh, we'll we'll see you back here after your uh, your jet lag fueled adventure. And um, yeah, yeah. No, can't can't wait to see what you guys get up to. And I'll be listening on very excitedly every week as as the episodes drop over the next couple. So. Uh, yeah, listeners, be sure to rate, review, subscribe us here at The Hungry Gamers, as well as all the other podcasts you listen to on the regular. It takes no time, costs no money, and it means the world to podcasters like ourselves. So, uh, yeah, take that little bit of time, pay it forward, get those good vibes, get that good karma. Also, check out One Perfect Game while you're at it because there's a new episode recorded live from the PAX Australia show floor available right now for consumption on all good podcast platforms. So give that one a spin when you're done listening to this episode right now. But uh, yeah, you can find me at Brendan8Bit. You can find us as a whole at WeAre8Bit and you can find this handsome devil beside me here at It's Tilby. But until next time, 8Bit Nation, much love. And stay hungry. See you around.